Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And as the Lord has revealed this to Simon, so we pray that he would reveal it to us now and forever. Please be seated. If you would, grab your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17. Across the board here. I was walking along the pathway with this gentleman. We were walking together, and he was popping candy into his mouth, uh, eating it along the way. And I kind of said, hey, uh, are those M&Ms? I really like M&Ms. And this friend of mine says, yes, they're M&Ms. Would you like one? And I said, sure, that'd be great. And he said, open up, and I'll pop one in. And I thought, that's a little odd for a, uh, for a grown man, but wanting an M&M. I opened up my mouth and I came in. Do you know what Sour Patch Kids are? Does anybody know what those are? Those are little candies that are small like that and the intent of a Sour Patch Kid is to make your face how much it can screw up your face, the Sour Patch Kid across the board. And of course, that's exactly what he had popped into my mouth, expecting something sweet, a nice little M&M. I got something incredibly different. Uh, it was very disappointing. <laughs> it was very, very disappointing. And if we don't know what we're getting into, if we don't know what's, what, what we're expecting, if we don't know what something is, we can be very disappointed. I think a lot of the Christian life for a lot of people is disappointing. And a lot of that, I think, is because they don't know what they're getting. They don't know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They haven't taken the time to have the Lord exactly like he has done with Simon Barjona here, reveal the essence of who he was, who he is for us today. If you're over 30 years old, you might remember that cell phones used to be phones. They used to be things where we used to call people on and stuff like that. Uh, today, if you think of your smartphone as a cell phone, you're going to be very, dis as just a phone, you're going to be very disappointed because the power, what you have in your hand, is so much greater than just the telephone. It's so much greater than just something that connects. It's something that has all these marvelous and massive features, and most of the people I know don't use the cell phone, don't use their phone as a phone. They use it for everything else that a phone is capable of doing these days. And if you only think of your phone as a phone or only use it as a phone, you're likely to be disappointed because you don't know what you have in your hands. I think for so many of us, we don't know that the Lord has us in his hands, the great and almighty one over all things, the power, the grace, the mercy, the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't realize that we are in his hands 
All too often we just think of ourselves as holding a little phone when instead we have the power of the universe is holding passionately to us. I am concerned tonight, today, for the possibility that you might be disappointed in your Christian life. And if you are, that at least some of that might be attributed to the fact that we're not spending time, you're not spending time, allowing the Lord in all of his grace and mercy to reveal to you the fullness of who he is. That's certainly in Peter's mind and Jesus' mind when we come to the text this morning. So if you have Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and following in front of you, as always, I think that it's helpful to have your Bibles open as we look at this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, that's actually the largest area in Galilee. And so we're in the middle of Jesus's ministry at this point, probably in the height of his popularity. So there's every expectation when Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? Uh, there's every expectation here on Jesus's part that the community around him, he's a, a popular figure in the area where he's at. He's, he doesn't go to some distant place and ask this question. He's kind of in his home turf here where people know who Jesus is. And so he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man is simply Jesus' own self-designation. That's his favorite term for himself. Um, I have a nickname for myself whenever I call myself names, whenever I'm mad at myself or something, uh, or refer to myself in the third person, which... I guess maybe I'm doing right now. Oh, he's so wonderful right now. Okay, uh, the idea of, of calling yourself something. So this is Jesus. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. So he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, before we look at the answer to that question, it's probably worth thinking why Jesus asked this question. Why does he ask the question? Is it possible that he's just curious? I think that's an option. You know, Jesus is curious about the word that's around. What, what, who do people say that I am? There's possibility here that Jesus is worried about his reputation. Uh, I don't necessarily think so. That doesn't seem in character with the rest of the biblical portrayal of who Jesus is. But maybe what's motivating Jesus here is simply the fact that he wants to be or is a crowd pleaser. And he wants to know, hey, um, the things I'm doing, is it striking home? Is it hitting the crowd the way that it should? Again, I tend not to think that's characteristic of the way Jesus has revealed himself. So why does he bother asking this question? Well, I think in so many ways, uh, as a good teacher and as a good preacher, Jesus is setting things up. I don't think this is necessarily the question that's on his mind. He's setting the disciples up for a much more important question or the question that he really has in mind. So he says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples answer in verse 14. They say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others the pro Jeremiah, the prophets. If you're not familiar with the biblical record really well, then you may not recognize some of those names. But those names are all very key and have been crucial prophets through Israel's history. John the Baptist being the last of them, according to Jesus' own word, who's just recently been murdered. Elijah, the first of the prophets and most central of the prophets in some ways. Jeremiah, crucial to the development of the development of history of Israel. Now, the thing that strikes me about that list, though, is that all of the people are dead. 
All the people are dead by the time the disciples say, hey, who do, the, who do people say that I am? And the disciples answer, some say John the Baptist, this dead guy, or Jeremiah, that dead guy, or Elijah, that dead guy. Like they're all identifying uh, Jesus with dead people, prominent people, really prominent people, but people who are dead. And so the question kind of comes to mind, why, you know, why are they identifying him this way? I think the only answer is that the people are recognizing something miraculous about Jesus. The, the crowd around Jesus, the crowd that has been following him, say when they're queried about who Jesus is, they, they realize that there's something special here. And the only thing that they can do is say, Wow, he might, is this a reincarnation? Is this a coming again of one of these famous, very marvelous people? So in other words, the point is here that Jesus and the crowd around Jesus is well aware that he's something special. They don't quite know how to phrase it, but they know that he's something special. And then in verse 15, then Jesus says to them, so okay, you get the, what the crowd wants. And then Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, you think of important questions in your life. Think of some of the crucial ones that are happening. Uh, I, I find it hard to imagine a more central question than if you're gonna marry and who you're gonna marry. Uh, think about how central that is. You spend your entire life with this individual. You spend every waking, you're going to shape every aspect of your life with this person that you are married with. You, you are not going to be able to avoid that relationship. That's a central question. Your vocation, the question about what you're going to do with your life. You're going to spend hours and hours every week doing this job. The question of what your vocation is going to be is a central one. It's a dominant one in your life, as many of us know. So we've gone through this. Should you go to college or not? Given the uh, debt that you're likely to come out from and the nature of the education that is there, this is a huge question for people. Should you go to college or not? All of these things are incredibly important, and the church has recognized through the years that there is no greater question, no more important question for your entire life than this one. This is the central question that every individual faces. If you know it or not, this is the question of your life, this is the question of your eternity, this is the question of your existence. But who do you say that I am? Jesus asks. Starts with the but, and I appreciate that. Why is the contrast? The but is a word of contrast. Who's Jesus contrasting that question with? Clearly, he's contrasting that question with what everybody else says. And the point is, Jesus never corrects them, never says, wait, I'm not Elijah, or I'm not John the Baptist. That's irrelevant to Jesus because that's not his point, what everybody else thinks. His point is, who do you say that I am? That's the only thing that really matters. But forgetting what everybody else says, who do you say that I am? 
This is the central question in your life forever because it is the only question that is going to utterly and completely shape your eternity as well as your present, as well as every minute that you exist. Who do you say that Jesus is? And that's, of course, the question, the emphasis here. It's who do you say that I am? And the key thing about this question is that this is not a one-time question that everybody answers. This is not a one-time question that once you answer it, I believe in Jesus as the Son of God, therefore, then you never face that question again. Every believer, every non-believer, every single person ever in existence faces that question every minute of their life. And so it's not good enough to have it in your mind, oh, well, I became a Christian X number of years ago, or, oh, I answered that question, or I know the answer to that question. This is a question that Jesus is asking, not for information, not so that you have the right creedal answer. He's asking, do you know and embrace the answer to that question every second of your life? Who do you say that I am? I want you to notice the nature of the question too. It's not, do you know my teachings? Will you follow my example? Do you like the things that I do? None of those are the question. All of those things are important, and by the way, we're gonna look at all those things next week. But this week, and the essence of this question is not who, what am I doing? What do you think of what I'm doing? Jesus asked the question, who do you think that I am? And I think that people are disappointed all too often in their Christian life because they don't nearly spend the time thinking, meditating, opening themselves up to the revelation of God so that they might hear the answer to that question. That's obviously what excites Jesus about Peter's answer. When Peter answers, then Jesus says, look at verse 17 for a second. Jesus answers and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Peter's uh, other name, Peter's a nickname for his formal name, Simon. Barjona just means son of Jonah, so his father's name was Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You haven't figured this out. Nobody has told you this. How do you see and know Jesus for who he really is? But my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you. That is nothing short of grace every single minute of our lives. And it's God's grace that reveals this to him. What does it reveal to Simon Peter? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not you have taught wonderful things. Not you do amazing things. Not you're the healer. Not you're the one who can cast out demons. This is who you are, not what you have done. Who are you, Lord Jesus? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when Peter claims that he's the Son of the living God, my guess is that he is not here 
articulating some deep insight into the doctrine of the Trinity. If you've been around church for a long time, you know that we understand the Trinitarian understanding of the Godhead, that God is three in one. We were just singing that earlier today, you know, that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, all of them equal, all of them the same, all of them independently God, all of that kind of a picture of what the Trinity holds. I don't think that's in Peter's mind here. This is one of these pictures, uh, and we have a phrase for it whenever we say, uh, you know, out of the mouths of babes. We usually say that when a kid answers some question way better than what they actually know. You know, they, they make some observation or they say something, and, uh, you know, as adults, we all kind of look at them and go, yeah, that, <laughs> that's exactly right, and there's no way the kid could know that. He's just saying something. I suspect that Peter is well aware of what? He's well aware that this man that he's been following, this guy who he's been listening to, this one whom he has dedicated his life to, is not a dead prophet. He's not somebody that has been resurrected. He's not just somebody that has got great insight into who Jesus is or who into God is. This is somebody that is so intimately connected to the divine that Peter says, you are the son of the living God. In other words, I don't want you to think in terms of, in, in other words, I think Peter here is simply acknowledging you are God, you are the living God, you are the, the holy one, you are the righteous one, you are everything that we claim when we say that you are God. And Peter claims that and Jesus then responds to him, you're right, and God himself has revealed that to you. You are the son of the living God. And yet at the same time, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, for most of us, Christ is just Jesus' last name, you know, Jesus Christ, those kind of things. And some of you will know that Christ is a title. Christ is, the, uh, is a title that has been given, uh, meaning Messiah, or the Anointed One, or the Holy One, the One who has been set apart. And throughout all of Israelite history, up until the point of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah that was coming, was always understood to be a human being. And so what Jesus, what Peter says here is that you are that anointed human being. You are the one who is set apart, that individual that has been identified by God for a specific task. You are the Christ. You are a human being. You are the son of the living God. In that one confessional phrase, this is why it's so crucial in the text and why it's appropriately famous, Peter's confession of who Jesus is, because he nails it. Jesus, you are not just the divine one. You are not just a human being. You are the Christ. You are the human being. And you are the son of the living God. Now, theologically, we call that mess the dual nature of Jesus Christ. That he is fully and completely human, and at the exact same time, fully and completely divine. Now, this is kind of hard because I don't want you to slide into Hercules, okay? Because Hercules is half God and half man. 
And that might be what you're thinking when we say that Jesus is fully God and fully divine. Our minds can't wrap around that. And so what we do is we, did I say that right? Fully human and fully divine. Um, And so what we do is we make him part one and part the other. But he's not part one and part the other. The Bible doesn't allow that. The Bible says you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so completely and totally at the same time, we confess as Christians that Jesus is fully God. That is that the entire blessings, the entire giftedness, the entire essence of who God is, is fully and completely in Jesus Christ. Christ is totally your God in every possible way. And there is no Christian confession that denies that. It's way too popular in way too much of Christian circles this day to deny that fundamental reality. Well, Jesus is God-ish, or Jesus is God-like. No, the text, the scripture makes it clear that Jesus is fully and completely divine. And yet at the same time, in every possible way, Jesus is fully and completely human, just like you, just like me. He was tempted in every way, just like you and I, though he is without sin. This is what it means that Christ is fully God and fully human, and why it is that the answer to this question is so crucial, and why it opens up every vista for your Christian life to realize who it is that holds you in his hands. And we state this then in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed that we speak of, the first line that we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that's the phrase that relates to the Father. And then you have this big chunk. Next week when we say the Apostles' Creed together, you can listen to it. the, The phrase that we talk about the Father is really small. Then we've got this big phrase that we say about Jesus. It goes on and on and on. And then we've got just a wee little phrase about the Holy Spirit, a wee little phrase about the church, a little wee little phrase about forgiveness, et cetera, et cetera. But this chunk about Jesus is big. And there's a reason for that. Because it's crucial to the Christian life to see Christ for who he really is. And that big chunk splits itself nicely into two parts which is why we're going to talk about part one today, part two next week. The first part deals with who Jesus is. Notice again what the phrase says. If you either have it memorized or um, we got it up on the screen. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Uh, there's, There's emphasis and there's intended to be emphasis in the original on that only. The, The issue here that they're trying to point out is that Jesus is not... Uh, the son of God, kind of like any creation is a son of God. No, there is something distinct about Jesus' relationship to the Father. Jesus is his only son, our Lord. And then notice the next two phrases. Who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. This is the answer to that question. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Now, we're going to look at the Holy Ghost in a couple weeks. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he means for our lives and all of those kind of things. 
Um, but again, we recognize that he is God. And so we have the conception of the Son by the Spirit. We don't need to talk about how that happens or to think about that. The Bible never tells us how that happens. It tells us that it does. That's it. That Jesus is born of God. That Jesus is begotten of God the Father. That's what I wanted to say. That Jesus is begotten of the Father. So when the text says, when we confess, Jesus is conceived by the Holy Ghost, we are asserting his divinity. Now, my guess is that you came with somebody today. Uh, there's a couple people that are sitting by themselves. I realize that, but there, yeah, there are. Okay, this may not work for some of you. You get to talk to yourself. Everybody else, I want you to turn to the person that you came with. Uh, really do this. Turn to the person you came with and answer the blank question. Because Jesus is God, he is blank. Because Jesus is God, he is blank. Go ahead, tell the person you're with that. Because Jesus is God, he is blank. Okay, now the other person answer. Because Jesus is God, he is blank. There's more than one answer. So, okay? All right. Now the text goes on and says, not just that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, but that he was born of the Virgin Mary that he was born of the Virgin Mary. Now, we don't need to get, we're not talking about Mary. We can have discussions about that and, and look at all of that, etc. But the point of that phrase is to identify Jesus' humanity. Just like conceived by the Holy Ghost is intended to highlight his divinity, so born of the Virgin Mary is intended to highlight, to emphasize his humanity. Because Jesus is human, he is blank. What difference does it make that Jesus is human? Go ahead. Because Jesus is human, he is blank. By the way, this one's harder. Not as much murmuring going on. Okay? Because Jesus is human, he is blank. Now, the reason why I did it this way, by the way, is that I simply can't tell you all of those things. Okay? For me... Because Jesus is divine, he is my Lord. Because Jesus is divine, he is the authority in my life. He's the one I bank on. He's the one who directs me. Because of Jesus is divine, he is my boss. Because Jesus is human, he knows me. Because Jesus is human, nothing about my life surprises him, not intellectually because God's omnipresent and he knows everything about my life, but experientially, because Jesus is human, nothing that I go through surprises him. The text reiterates, our creed reiterates, the emphasis of our life tells us that there is no more important question that you will ever confront then that question that everyone will confront, who do you say that I am? And the creed here helps us to answer it and answer it in the way that will shape and mold not just my everyday existence now, but my life into eternity. Jesus Christ is fully God and Jesus Christ is fully human and my life is completely shaped because of that. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we thank you again for 
gracing us with the scriptures, with insight, with revealing to us the truth of the Bible. For Lord, it is not just our thinking, this is not the wisdom of the church age, but rather this is a revelation of you, Lord, who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we might know of the true divinity of Jesus, his godness, and all that that means in our life, and his true humanity, every aspect of the world in which he gives to us. In Jesus Christ we pray these things, asking for his blessing as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.